0: Today we are in week two of a three-week message series called times like these and I wanted to have an opportunity over this three-week series to speak as a pastor to our church family about the times that we find ourselves in the situation that we find ourselves in and so if you're a guest with us we're so glad that you're tuned in we're so glad that you're watching this stream and I hope that this message will be helpful for you again this is week two and uh, for this three-week series, we actually find ourselves in uh, a chapter of the Bible called 1 Kings chapter 17. And this chapter can be divided into three short stories about the prophet Elijah. And last week, we started the first story, and we learned some things about how we can have faith through uncertainty, through times like these. Uh, last week's message I titled, um, Unprecedented unprecedented. And that's a word that we're hearing thrown around a lot in the media about this time that we're living in. And of course, the definition of the word unprecedented means not done or experienced before. And so many of us, you and I, are experiencing a pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, for the first time. And so for us, what we're experiencing and living through is certainly unprecedented. However, what we learned last week is that when you back out the lens of the camera and you begin to look at a larger a piece of human history, what you and I discover is that um, what we're currently experiencing might be new to us, but it is not new to humanity. And people throughout ages past have gone through difficult times, wars, famines, natural disasters, and pandemics. And so the reason why that's encouraging is because we can look back at history, we can look back at the stories of men and women of faith who not only experienced and lived through times like these, But their faith shone, and their their knowledge of God and their faith in God grew during times like these. And that's what I want for you. Uh, This past week, the Premier of Ontario, uh, Doug Ford, started to unroll a basic plan for how things might begin to open up in the weeks and months ahead. And they talked about it in stages. And so obviously right now we're confined to very, very small, limited numbers of people and social distancing, but in the weeks ahead they might open it up to a few more people and more, and stage by stage begin to move back towards some sort of normalcy. Well, what I've discovered and what we're going to see in our text today is that God also operates in stages. Stage one for Elijah, for those that weren't with us last week, God sends a prophet by the name of Elijah to the king of Israel, Ahab. And uh, Elijah says to the king, there's going to be a drought, there's no rain until I say so. And then God actually tells Elijah to go hide by the brook Cherith. So Elijah's going to go and he is in complete isolation. I don't know if anyone can you know, understand what that feels like, but he's in isolation for over a year, drinking water from the brook and being fed miraculously by, by ravens. And that's sort of stage one, complete isolation, God is providing everything he needs He is preparing Elijah for the next phase of his ministry. He's protecting Elijah during this season of difficulty. And I believe God is going to prepare for, provide, and protect for us as well. But that's stage one. Stage two, uh, as we get into our text today that you just heard Andre read a few moments ago, in verse eight, we're going to see God move. He's going to move Elijah from the brook to a new place. And there God is going to provide for him in a brand new way. Step one. Stage 1, God was providing miraculously by ravens. Stage 2, God is actually going to provide the materials, okay, flour and oil, for a widow to provide for Elijah. Uh, stage 1, God did everything. Skipped the dishes. It just showed up, completed. Stage 2, God is going to use people to minister, and to bring the miracle through people, through, and there's actually going to be some dishes involved, she's going to be cooking, but anyways, uh, we move on. So we're going to jump into 1 Kings chapter 17, and last week where we ended was, he's sitting by the brook, ravens are feeding him, and all of a sudden the brook dries up. And I said this as we closed last week, man, sometimes it's weird, like God is providing miraculously, and all of a sudden his provision stops, and it's like, God, I thought you were providing for me, and we discover that at this point God wants to change some things. Here's what it says in verse 8 of chapter 17. Then the word of the Lord came to him. I don't want to rush past this particular passage. Here's why. This is the second time in eight verses that we see something like this. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and Elijah is going to do what the Lord is telling him. Now, personally, I believe that God will primarily lead his children and his people in this way. In what way are you talking about, pastor? This way step by step. He doesn't give us the game plan. He doesn't tell us the next five years, the next 10 years. Man, I wish God would give me the plan for the next 10 years of Pathway Church. I wish he would give me the next five things I need to do in my marriage or with my family. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't lead that way. He gives us the next step and only the next step. Elijah doesn't know what's coming next. He doesn't know ab- about the widow. He doesn't know about Mount Carmel. He doesn't know about all the things that are going to happen. God says, here's the next step. Do that. And he has to trust God enough to take the next step. Sometimes, uh, maybe some of you have experienced this. You'd be driving in a city that you're not familiar with, and you have somebody in the car who knows the area who's telling you where to go, but they're not giving you the map. They're not telling you how to get there. They're just giving you one step at a time. That's frustrating, right? I'm asking my people in the, in the audience here who we got. Okay. We got a few staff behind the scenes. And, and, and so when you ask the person, you say, Hey, um, do I turn here? No. And, and, and you're driving down the road. And this is so frustrating me because I guess I just like to be in control and I like to have the master plan. And it's like here. No. How about here? Right? Left? Like I'll, I'll tell you. Don't worry about it. Just, and then they'll say, Okay, turn right here. And you turn and it's just like driving me nuts. And God will lead us that way too. And I believe the reason why God leads us that way is because, is because if He said, here's the next five turns, we'd ignore Him. We wouldn't need Him. He'd be like, okay, I got this. I got this now. If He told me what to do for the next five years, I would run off and do it without Him. And God wants to be part of my everyday. He wants to lead me day by day, step by step, season by season. And so it's important for us to remember, just like Elijah just had to wait, God sends him to the brook and He sits there for like a year and a half. And then all of a sudden the brook dries up and God speaks and says, I want you to go there now. And all he can do is obey. Simple obedience. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to him, verse 8. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now, this may not mean much to you, but Zarephath is a small town in the, the, the nation of Sidon. Now, Sidon is on the northwest corner of ancient Israel. So Elijah's going, if we had a map... Elijah's going from over here, and he's traveling around the entire country of Israel to the northern corner, and God is sending him to a nation that's not even Jewish. He's sending him to an enemy nation. In fact, what I think is so cool about this is Sidon is actually the birthplace of Ahab's wife Jezebel. So while Ahab and his wife are frantically looking for Elijah to end the famine, and they can't find him anywhere, God is actually hiding Elijah in Jezebel's hometown, God just has a funny sense of humor. He's just like, I can do that. So God does that. He sends him there. And uh, another interesting thing about this is that this whole thing... See, sometimes when we're going through experiences, we don't understand the why. We don't understand the purpose behind what we're experiencing. God has a plan. Elijah doesn't know what it is. And through this chapter... 1 Kings 17, and through Elijah's story, God is actually foreshadowing some things that he is going to do for the entire world down the road. Do you guys know what foreshadowing means? Foreshadowing is this idea like in a story, in a film, um, there are elements that lead you to see something that's about to come. Let me give you an example. If you're watching a Western movie, you know, and Clint Eastwood, you know, the hero of the story, he comes walking into the bar, like, ka-ching, 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 and he gets that, you know, the cool squinty thing, and he's just looking, and, and, he, and he drinks his alcohol, and, he, and as he's walking out of the bar, ka-ching, ka-ching, ah, he's leaving the bar, and what happens? There's some shady character in the back corner, it's all dark, he's just polishing his gun. And when you see that character, and you hear the music, you know, it's a foreshadowing, there's going to be a duel. These two are going to have it up. They're going to fight. This guy wants to kill the hero. And you know that. And so what God is doing, he's sending Elijah to a Gentile nation, to a widow who's not a Jew, and he's going to save her by, via, via Elijah. And what's cool about that is that foreshadows that God is not just going to save the nation of Israel, but he's going to save people from every nation, every tribe and tongue who believe him take him at his word and trust in his son. So even in this ancient story, God is already preparing the way and foreshadowing through Elijah's life. I wonder what God's doing through us in this time and season. How God might use the things we're experiencing and learning and growing through at this time to impact the world around us. And so, again, obedience to God positions us to receive his provision. We said this last week, Elijah, he's at the brook Cherith. Ravens are feeding him. It's all good. God's like, I want you to go to Zarephath in Sidon. And Elijah could have said, well, I'll just, I'll just stay here. But God says, no, no, I'm still providing for you, but my provision's moving over there. And it's obedience that causes Elijah to move his position so that he can now receive the provision that God is going to provide in a new way at a new place. And you know, of course, whenever God directs us in a new way, it requires us to change. And we serve a God that doesn't change, but He requires us to change and it's for our benefit. But change isn't easy. In fact, what I want to do is I want to grab a couple cameras. I want to take you for a walk. I want to take you out for a little stroll outside our offices so I can show you exactly what I'm talking about. I want to give you an illustration that will help you understand why, uh, many of you might feel like I have over the past month. It's like, all my evenings are free. My weekends are free. So many things I used to do are canceled. Why am I so tired? There's a reason why you're tired, and I want to explain it to you and show you outside. So grab a camera and come on with me.
1: See our, our little studio set up here. Uh, Todd's operating our cameras. Jason's operating our words. Trying Jason, move over, trying to keep our six feet of distance. Going back through here. We're heading down the, uh, we're going to head down the hallway. I want to take you out to uh, to a little path to demonstrate something. This is the uh, the stairwell that leads up to our office space. Some of you read Psalm Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's our stairwell. (laughs) Alright. Come on. When the weather's nice and there's no quarantine, they play uh what's that game? Cricket? Hilton should come over and check that out. They play cricket here. That's why I park my car over there so I don't get dense. Yeah, so I'm out on the path behind our office. You can see this nice clear path, lots of people are walking down it all the time. And and honestly, um, you know, life before COVID-19, we had our our, uh, our schedules, our routines, our habits that we did every day, and it was like a nice, well-worn path. In fact, I was listening to Henry Cloud, and he was talking, but he's a psychologist and author. He was saying that uh, the way our brains work, our our neural pathways get wired, and they're like this trail. They're well-worn. The way you got up and went to school, went to work, things you ate, getting groceries, you, you had patterns. You weren't even having to think about it. And so, of course, what happens, he used the illustration of, if you're sitting at your uh, your couch and you're watching TV and you think, "Oh, I want a drink," and you you know exactly how to get up, go to the fridge, and come back, and you don't even have to think about it, and it's almost as if like if you were going to the to the fridge to get your drink and someone had put a couch right in front of the doorway, your brain has this well-worn path, and all of a sudden it's it's been blocked, and your brain goes, "Problem, warning, distress," and you now have to stop and go, "Okay, now what? <laughs> do I do I climb over the couch?" uh oh that well i bet the commercial's almost over i better i better hurry up or you might think to yourself well i should move it because it doesn't belong here can i lift it will i hurt my back is there somebody in the house that i could ask to help me move it who put it here in the first place and what happening in your brain is instead of going down this clear path you end up forging new paths you're in new territory instead of ah sharp. instead of walking you know, down this well-worn path, you're actually blazing a trail through something new. You're forming new habits, new routines, new schedules. And so some of you may be thinking, I- I'm doing half as much as I used to do. Why am I so exhausted? And the reason why is because your daily routines have changed. You know, um, you know, you're, you're having to work from home and, and that changes everything. And so you have to make all these decisions and it's exhausting. Some of you have to uh, work from home and school your kids. It's like, ah, you're you're literally bushwhacking your way through life, trying to figure things out, and it's exhausting. So what you need to understand is that when you're in a situation like this, what seems like an obstacle, blazing new trails, having to make decisions that you never had to make before, that it's an obstacle, but it's also an opportunity. Because what if the well-worn path that you've been walking for years isn't the right path, and God wants to send you in a new direction? We have an opportunity, but I just want you to understand it's going to be tiring. It's going to be exhausting, because change is necessary, but it's also tiring. And so the question is, what does God want me to change? And then as we begin to make those changes, God will give us the provision and strength to make the changes as necessary. Again, for many of us, some of the simple things like going to the groceries was just was a well-worn path. I mean, you just went and it's like, oh, hey, uh, excuse me, I need one of those. And you, now all of a sudden there's all these moral decisions uh, that you never used to have to make. Like, oh, am I infringing on somebody's space? Am I allowed to get two of those? What do I do about the toilet paper? All these little silly things that didn't matter, they matter, and it's exhausting.
0: Here's how the story continues. He says, arise, go to Zarephath, and then he says this, behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not the way that I would feed Elijah. I would send Elijah to a wealthy man's house where there's lots of food, but God isn't going to do that. He's going to send him to a poor Gentile widow and God is going to do a miracle so that she is able to both provide for Elijah but also for herself. And what we are discovering as a church is that in unprecedented times, God will provide in unprecedented ways. I've received emails, I've, I've talked to folks in our church who have seen God doing unprecedented things, showing up in miraculous ways, comforting them, strengthening providing for them. And so we need to be encouraged and we have our eyes open to see how God might do that. Here's verse 10. It says, So he arose and he went to Zarephath. Elijah does not stay by the brook, because guess what? The ravens aren't coming anymore. God's like, hey, ravens were yesterday. I'm doing something new. I'm sending you there. And I wanted to tell you this. Yesterday's miracle will not sustain you today. Yesterday's miracle will not sustain you today. Maybe yesterday God used the ravens. Maybe today he's using a widow. Maybe tomorrow it's Costco or the government or some other way. But God will continue to provide... But the way that he provides will change. Yesterday's miracle won't sustain you. That's why he wants us to be in faith. And faith means that we're trusting him today. When Jesus' disciples um, asked Jesus how they should pray, he said this. He said, pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven. But there's a section of the prayer where he comes down and he says, pray this. Give us this day our, anybody know? Daily Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God, I'm not... I'm not thinking about what you did yesterday, how you provided for me yesterday. I need provision, and I need your peace, and I need your strength, and I need your confidence and your hope, and I need it today. And I'm not worried about how you're going to provide tomorrow. I need it today. And so we see that faith is living in the moment and trusting God where we find ourselves today. And that's what Elijah does. He says, okay, provision was here. You're telling me it's over there. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to move. As I said earlier, he had to travel a long distance. He had to go to a nation that wasn't his own. He was willing to get uncomfortable, but he was able to receive the provision of God. So we're talking about faith through uncertainty. That's the subtext of the series, faith through uncertainty. And so what is faith? Let me just answer with a couple quick ideas. Number one, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, Faith without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we don't have faith in God, whatever that is, we can't please him. Jesus also said this. He talked numerous times about how when Jesus returns, when he comes back to the earth, he says, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? It's almost as if, you can zoom in on me just a little bit. It's, it's, almost, it's almost as if God is sitting in heaven, kind of leaning forward, scouring the earth, going, is there somebody of faith? Is there somebody who trusts me today? Is there somebody that's actually praying and believe I'm going to answer? Oh, there's somebody. Oh, there she is. There. Oh, there's a child praying at their bedside. And and God is looking. He's looking for faith in the earth. And that's incredible because God, at this time during this famine, God is scouring the nation looking for anyone who would trust him and believe in him. And he finds a widow in Zarephath. She's not even a Jew. In fact, Jesus mentions this woman. Nearly a thousand years later, Jesus is in his hometown and all the people are like, oh, you're Jesus, you're you're a Messiah, you can do miracles, show us your miracles, show us what you can do, show us your power. And he actually references this widow. Here's what he says in uh, Luke 4 verse 25. He says, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel. During this famine, there were a lot of widows who didn't have food. And he says, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and great famine came over all the land, And he continues, and Elijah was sent to, let's all say it together, none of them. He was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, when Jesus says this, the crowds from his hometown get mad. Because what he's saying is, this Gentile poor widow from a neighboring nation that's not even a Jew had more faith in God than you guys do, so she got to see the power of God in action and you don't. And they got mad. They got mad. So here's the question. What kind of faith did this widow have? What kind of faith did this widow have? Well, I don't have the answer for you, but I do have a couple things from the story that are indications of the kind of character and the kind of faith that she had. And it says this in the next verse. And when he came to the gate of the city, Elijah arrives at his destination. It says, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. She's just out by the gate picking sticks up off the ground. You guys remember the game pick up sticks that <laughs> was such a stupid game you could never win all the sticks were... 10 anyway uh so she's out there gathering sticks and and, and elijah shows up and he sees her and, and i just wanted to tell you she was industrious she was not sitting around we're going to find out in just a sec she was preparing her last meal to die but she hadn't given up and she's hard at work and what's always fascinated me in the scriptures is how jesus when he turns up he doesn't find academics he finds people that are working hard he finds people who are industrious. He finds people that are doing things. And I want to tell you this about faith. Faith isn't lazy. I man, I grew up in churches where people talked about faith all the time. And it was like, basically, you're sitting in a lazy boy going, God, you promised. I have a passage. You better do what you said you would do. You better do your part. And what I've discovered when I read the scripture is that whenever God wants to do something in the world, he promises that he's going to do something. But there's always a part that we have to play. And the part that we play is an indication of our faith that God will do his part. You say, well, isn't that works? No, it's actually how God works. Let me give you a couple examples. Jesus shows up by the Sea of Galilee. Peter's been up fishing all night, no fish. Jesus says, hey, Peter, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Now, Peter's a fisherman. He knows there's no fish here. That's not going to work. He says, at your word, I'll do my part. And he throws the net off the side of the boat, and and the, and the net is filled with fish, and there's this miraculous catch. So God had a plan to provide for Peter. He had a plan to do something miraculous, but Peter had a part to play. And unless Peter did his part, guess what? God wasn't sending the provision. There's a guy in the Old Testament called Naaman, and the prophet tells him, if you want to get rid of your leprosy, go dip in the River Jordan seven times. And he's like, that's just stupid. That won't cure leprosy. But he obeys the word, he does his little part, and God does the rest. And that's how God works in our lives. He gives us a thing to do, and sometimes we're just unwilling. We're unwilling to move. We're unwilling to change. We're unwilling to do our part. This woman was industrious. This woman was not lazy, okay? So if you're sitting with somebody right now, just turn and ask them. Say, how's your faith? Just go ahead and ask them, how's your faith? Is your faith industrious? Are you Are you doing your part? And maybe a question for reflection would be this. Um, is there something God has asked me to do and I'm relenting to do it? Is there something he is leading me to do and I won't do it and I'm actually holding back what God wants to do in my life at this time? She's industrious. Faith isn't lazy. Here's the next thing. It says, and he called her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. He asked her for a drink of water. Now, if I was her, I would say, Get your own drink. What do I look like? Your servant? Don't you know my son and I are about to die? Don't you know my situation? How could you ask that of me? She thinks to herself, well, I don't have money. I don't have food, but I can get him water. And so she doesn't say anything. She just begins to go and get the water. And I just made this note that authentic faith uh, is always connected with a servant's heart. This woman is a servant. This woman is willing to serve. And, and here's the thing I've noticed. Um, Of all the great men and women of faith I've ever met, every single one of them has first and foremost had the heart of a servant. And if you're sitting at home right now, I want you to think about someone that has great faith that you really respect. And I want you to think about, are they a servant? And I think you're going to find the answer is yes. In fact, who's the greatest person with the most faith that ever lived? I'm asking the staff in the audience. Who is it? Jesus. Thank you. Jason got it right. Jason's running the slides behind the scenes. He got it right. Jesus. And, and you know what Paul says about Jesus, I think it's in Colossians 2, he says he says that even though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He laid down his life. He opened up his arms and he became a servant for you and for me. And I'm telling you, if if, if people are walking around being like, I'm a man of faith, I'm a woman of faith, I trust God through the pandemic, and they're not willing to serve others, forget it. It's not real. The greatest faith will always produce in you a servant's heart, and they're interconnected always. continues in the story. He says this in verse 11, and as she was going to bring it, she's going to get the water, just like he asked. He called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. He's like, oh, by the way, while you're getting that water, would you mind bringing me back a piece of bread? And of course, um, this is going to be a problem, but I wanted to, to note this, that God will often ask us to do just a little bit more than we can do. He'll ask for a little more than we have. And the reason why he does that is so that we'll have to depend on him. Remember, this is about faith. So this reminds me very much of the story when Jesus and his disciples have a crowd of of 5,000 people in front of them. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, feed them. The people are hungry. You feed them. (laughs) We don't have enough money. We can't buy bread. How in the world are we going to be able to... To feed them, and what does Jesus say to the disciples? He says, "Well, what do you have?" And they say, "Well, we have this little boy's lunch: some loaves and fish." And God will always take what we have and multiply it for what we need. Verse 12, he continues, and he said, and she said, "As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked; only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug." She said, "All I have is just one handful of flour, just just that, and a little bit of oil, enough to make maybe." a little loaf of bread for my son and I to eat. She continues, and now I'm gathering a couple of sticks. She says, that's what I've been doing, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. She says, I was just about to take these sticks and make this little loaf, and we we're going to eat it and die. And as I was reading this, I thought to myself, isn't it amazing that God shows up when we reach the end of ourselves? And, and it's, not that God, <laughs> it's not like God is disinterested in us until we hit rock bottom it's usually we're disinterested in God until we hit rock bottom. Isn't that true? I mean, it's like, we, we, as long as everything's fine, we don't need him. And then all of a sudden we realize, man, this is the end. I've run out of resources. There's nothing else I can do. And God shows up, and she is ready and willing to receive his salvation. And so God shows up at this time. And in verse 13, He says, Elijah said to her, do not fear. I was reminded this week we were doing a little trivia thing with our staff, and I was reminded that this particular phrase, do not fear, appears in the Bible 365 times, literally one time for every single day of the year. And so you and I need to remember that today, that we should not live in fear. God is with us. He says, go and do as you have said. You're gathering your sticks. You've got your little bread. Go and make your loaf. Go and do exactly as you said. This is where things get interesting. He says, but first. Can we all say that together? But first. I know some of you at home are like, he can't hear me. It doesn't matter if I say it. Nobody can hear me say it. I need you to say this. This is super important. But first, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Think about the audacity of this. This prophet just heard that she is preparing her last meal. She and her son are about to die and he's like, yeah, um, make me a loaf first. And then once you've fed me, you can kind of live on and eat what is left over. But here's what he does. He gives a promise with this. In verse 14, he says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, God has the audacity, not just in this case, but throughout the Scripture, to ask you and me to give him our first and our best. And that idea flows throughout the scriptures, through the Old Testament and New. God requires of us that we give him our first and best. And this is where a lot of preachers would jump into a giving sermon. You know, you know, give your money to the church, help us through the pandemic. I'm not doing that. I'm talking about giving the first of your time to God. I'm talking about giving your heart and your priorities to God. I'm talking about giving your family to God. I'm talking about your resources, your money, all of those aspects that God actually asked for our first and best. In the Old Testament, he would say if you had a herd of sheep and you had 10 of them, you took the best sheep and you sacrificed it to God. And that makes no sense because you should breed the best sheep for more best sheep. But God says, no, I want you to give it to me and trust that I will provide with what you have left over. And that's exactly what Elijah is going to do with her. And I believe that's what God is doing for us today. He's like, in this time of lack, would you open your hands and would you give me your first and best? And it doesn't make sense, but when we give God our first and best, he promises to provide. He promises to protect us. He promises to give us our daily bread. Verse 15, this is amazing. And she went and did as Elijah said. And as I read that, I think to myself, would I? Would I have taken my last bit of food? Sorry, Nathaniel, Nora. <laughs> you don't get your cereal this morning. I'm giving it to a prophet. Like, Would I have done that? Would I have had the faith to trust God that he would provide in some other way? And she did. No wonder God found her and overlooked the rest of Israel because here's this woman that's not even a Jew and she's going to trust the God of Israel enough to give away her last meal. This is powerful stuff. Verse 16, again, it says, the jar of flour was not spent Sorry, I missed a verse. Go back to 15. And she and he and her household ate for many days. I thought that was a typo at first. And she and he and her household ate for many days. God, because of her obedience, because of her faith, God provided for, again, the prophet, because God was going to provide for his people, but he also provides for the widow and her son and whoever else was living in her house. God provided just as he promised because she was willing to do her part. Verse 16, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. When we have the faith to trust God, wherever he's moving us, whatever he's asking of us to take steps, because remember what we're saying, that obedience to God actually positions us to receive his provision. And so here's the question I wanted to close our service with is simply this. Are we willing to hear and obey. Are we willing to live each and every day dependent on him? Not, hey, give me the next five steps and I'll drive over there. Give me my daily bread. Lord, today I'm listening. What do you want me to do? I know right now it's easy for for people, including myself, to make excuses. It's easy for us to say, hey, you know what? There's so many things we can't do. I can't go to an old folks home. I can't go here. I can't go and serve those people. There's all these restrictions that I can't do. But are you willing to do what you can do? Are you willing to put your faith in action? Are you willing to be obedient to God? Are you willing in some way, however God is leading, to give Him your first and best in the midst of this season? And God promises He will provide. I'll close with this idea that I closed with last week. Our faith is not in the delivery system. Our faith is in the God who delivers. And in the midst of change, when everything is moving, and everything is difficult, it's in those moments that we can narrow our focus and trust in God and that that faith and confidence can can become the foundation and cornerstone of our lives and so if you would uh, would you join me as we pray together in close father we thank you for the story of Elijah and for the faith of this widow thank you that she was industrious thank you that she she was not lazy but she trusted God and did the little things that she could do in the moment I pray that for us as individuals and as a church we would be able to do the little things that you have put in front of us to do, that we would be able to be obedient in the little things you are asking of us and be confident that you will be faithful to do exactly as you have promised, that you will provide for us, that you will care for us, that you will protect us through this season. And God, that somehow through this season, through times like these, on the other side, we would be able to see the greater story and how you are using us, our church, within our community at this time jesus name amen thanks for listening to the pathway church podcast if you'd like to reach out to us go to our website pathwaylife.com and as always don't forget to subscribe see you next week